welcome everybody to Alto Performance Insights. This is uh, episode three where we're being joined by Pete Buscano. Uh, great to have you, Pete. Uh, Pete is a mental performance coach uh, who spent the last several years uh, as part of the coaching staff at, at East Carolina as part of their storied baseball program, but now uh, has kind of branched out on his own, moved back to Wisconsin, and is the founder of Forward Mental Performance. So Pete, it's great to have you. And uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and, and forward mental performance and what you're doing these days? Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate you guys both having me on here. So I'm excited to uh, talk with you guys today. But uh, a little bit about me. Um, originally grew up in Clearwater, Florida. Uh, you know, played baseball from an early age, got into sports, got into athletics. And um, although I wasn't, you know, good enough to play at the, at the collegiate level, um, I went to University of Central Florida and got involved with the baseball team there. Um, had you know got some connections with some great coaches was able to learn a ton and really uh, got to cut my teeth in coaching there um, so being able to help out as a as a student manager student assistant while I was there um, was an unbelievable experience um, you know they the coaches there coach Terry Rooney the assistants Cliff Godwin Jeff Palumbo um, you know they were instrumental in in getting my my coaching career off the ground um so got to spend a, a healthy five years there figured i liked it so much i didn't want to do it in a, in an even four so <laughs> took uh took five years on on that but uh, part of the reason yeah absolutely absolutely part of the reason why was um you know going into my into my final year i spent a summer as an assistant coach up in the uh, Valley Baseball League, a collegiate summer league. And it really opened my eyes to everything that I didn't know about coaching. So I was like, man, I'm not ready to get out and uh, jump into this full time yet. So I got a little bit more to learn. So I extended a little bit and added a minor and uh, took my time, spent, a, spent another year in Orlando so I could figure that out. Um, and it was, it was huge. But after uh, in that final, uh, final semester, I was getting ready to go to grad school and I was all set up to go to uh, Old Miss and I was going to, you know, do grad school there and work for the baseball program there. Cause at the time Cliff Godwin had, had moved over there and was the uh, recruiting coordinator at Old Miss. So I was going to go there and, you know, get into, you know, next step into coaching, get my master's, everything like that. And um, that summer of uh, 2014 before he, or before I was uh, going there, he ended up calling me and saying, Hey, I just got the head coaching job at ECU. You want to come? <laughs> okay. I said yes, sir. I do. <laughs> nice. I was uh, I was actually up working a working a camp at Clemson, um, you know, and it was probably the Tuesday of camp when that happened, and I had to go into you know Jack Leggett's office and tell him like, hey, you know, Hall of Fame legendary coach Jack Leggett, I gotta go. So, but he was uh, he was really cool about it. He actually offered to give me a recommendation and call Cliff for me, but I was like, no, I think. I think he already knows he wants to hire me. So I literally <laughs> turned, turned around, drove whatever, eight hours, nine hours back to Orlando, packed up my apartment. And then the next day I drove, uh, drove from Orlando up to Greenville, North Carolina. And I, you know, spent the next five years there working for Cliff and, and helping to helping to get that program, um, you know, back up into the national spotlight. And um, it was there that I really got into and learned the, uh, you know, saw firsthand the importance of mental performance and what it can do for athletes. You know, at ECU, uh, we were very good at recruiting. They still are, but there's a certain level of, of recruits that, you know, choose the North Carolinas, the, you know, the NC States, those, those big name schools over ECU. So, you know, what we were able to find is that we were able to really maximize our talent, you know, take the, 
the blue chip top the line guys and make them, you know, even better, but then take the other guys that other programs overlook, you know, the blue collar, the guys that, that East Carolina is built on, you know, and really help them to perform above their talent levels, um, whether it's from a leadership aspect or a mental performance aspect, you know, it, I couldn't tell you how many times we'd go into different, different places, you know, the, the big schools, the Ole Misses, the UVAs, the Texas Techs, and, you know, hear about how tough our guys are and how, you know, those coaches wish that they had, you know, the, the guys that we had, and, you know, our first year and our last couple of years there, um, you know, our big mantra was toughness over talent. And, you know, it, it, it goes a long way on the baseball field and really in any sport, um, you know, and, and not even in baseball, it's, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than athletics. It's about, you know, not just winning on the field, but winning at life. And, you know, our guys bought into it and we were able to do some really cool things there. So some things that I'm really proud of and what I'm able to do now, fortunately, is, you know, that was a doing the mental performance and leadership training and everything like that at ECU was a very small part of the overall job. And what I've been able to do now since I moved up here to Madison, Wisconsin is, you know, take that from being part time to being full time and dive right in and get into some other sports and other uh you know, areas, not just sports, but get into business, into the civilian world as well. It's been, it's been a blast. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations on, on getting into the business world and, and moving, moving up to Wisconsin. We know there's some, some other reasons there. You're on the verge of becoming a father any day now. So that's exciting. And thanks for taking a, a few minutes out of that to join us, but uh, congratulations to, to you and the missus. I know that's, yeah. that's something you're really excited about. Um, no, absolutely. Talk, talking about different sports, I think from my background, personally being baseball, Daniel's a little bit different, you know, growing up playing hockey as well as running. But um, something I often think about is being a baseball pitcher. I think one of the reasons I liked it is I was always in control. <laughs> Everything started and stopped with me. And I can see like there's some differences in maybe how you'd have to approach mental performance as something like a pitcher or even a hitter where you're reacting, but, but you have some time preparation. You're not constantly on the go. How does that differ from something like basketball or hockey or soccer where you're constantly reacting um, your own background in martial arts and jujitsu? Like you don't have the, the time preparation to, to do, you know, clear the mechanism as they say in for love of the game or anything like that. Yeah. No, and it's, it's, it is different for, for each sport, but at the basics, it's, it's really the same, you know, mental performance to me is being able to take control of that conversation that's going on in your head, because it's that conversation in your head that's going to speed things up, slow things down. And, you know, when things get sped up, your heart rate goes up, you know, that's when, you know, you start to lose those auxiliary functions. You start to lose, you know, the the wide vision, the scope of being able to see everything. You start to lose your fine motor skills. And those are the things that are going to affect every sport. You know, in, in my mind, it's the ability to think, you know, if you're a pitcher on the mound and the game speeds up, you know, you lose the ability to process what you're trying to do with this pitch. You know, if you're a cross-country runner and things start to speed up on you, you know, you lose the ability to, you know, maintain your rhythm, maintain your gait, maintain that conversation in your head that's going to keep you going to overcome, you know, the stresses, the adversities that you feel. And in jujitsu or any other combat sport, you know, it's the ability to process what your opponent's doing and be able to, being able to think about what you want to do um, and just making sure you're not making stupid mistakes. The biggest thing that I've seen is you can have all the ability in the world, regardless of the sport, 
but it's the six inches between your ears that are going to that are going to control the six feet below it. So if you're unable to take control of that conversation, then you're doing yourself a disservice and you're not going to live up to any of the athletic expectations that you have. I mean, you see it across the board. It's not always the most talented that are the most successful. You know, a lot of times it's the ones that, you know, I always, I always compare it to, you know, like the, the old cartoons where you have the angel pop up on one shoulder and the devil pop up on the other shoulder. Well, that devil on the one shoulder is the, the voice in your head that's saying, you know, Hey, your legs are tired or, or, Hey, you know, this moment's too big. Hey, don't give up this hit. Don't mess up. You know, don't, don't let this guy choke you out, you know, and, and being able to coach athletes on taking control of that conversation to be that other voice, to talk back to those thoughts that are coming up in your head. You know, it, it goes a long way with managing stress, managing anxiety, managing all these things that go down and affect our performance. And, you know, when you translate it to, to life, you know, it's dealing with that failure. If you're in sales, it's dealing with that failure of being told 99 times, hey, no, man, we don't want it. We don't want it. We're not going to do it. You know, and thinking like, God, what am I doing here? Am I even in the right line of work? But being able to live for that one yes. And then yeah. being able to focus on the process of going day by day to get to that next yes. So, and a lot of times it's nothing overly complicated. You know, it can be as simple as, you know, hey, so what? So what? Don't eat it. Next pitch, you know, next moment. I, you know, if I'm running, I just got to get to that next tree. Okay, I made it there. I can get to the next one. <laughs> yeah, I know? feel like that's it, how I ran every race in my life. And Daniel's <laughs> over here running 10 milers. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, could, I could tell you with 100% certainty that, um, things can really spiral out of control when you, when you start having negative thoughts during a race. I, I struggled with this a lot. Um, as I was going through college, yeah, I went from being a, a soft or a, a, a senior in high school, um, at the, at the head of most races, you know, I picked that was fortunate to pick up a few wins to go into, to, into my freshman year at Memphis and all of a sudden being back in, you know, 50th place uh you start really questioning you like well you know how why am i this far back and that starts messing up your breathing it starts messing up your rhythm just as you were saying and it spirals so fast and the last thing you want is a quick spiral when you've got a 10,000 meter race to run (laughs) you're out there for for six miles uh you you definitely don't want to start spiraling within the first one so No, no, I hear you. Absolutely. And that's where I think there's a big misconception about mental performance that people think it's, well, I have to add this and I have to, you know, add this and do this. And, and, you know, it's not always about addition with mental performance. A lot of times, you know, it's about subtracting things. It's about subtracting all that clutter. It's about subtracting, you know, the unnecessaries and really editing down to what's important, what's going to help you the most, you know, and that's focusing on the things that you can control you know, that's focusing on that inner conversation, you know, that is focusing, you know, on being able to calm yourself. And instead of, instead of looking 10 steps ahead, you know, it's about that next step. It's about that next breath. It's about that next pitch. You know, you're playing golf. It's about that next shot. You know, you're playing about, you're playing hockey. You can't worry about, you know, the, the pass you messed up, you know, in the first period, you got to worry about what's going on right now. And, you know, if you're running a a 10 K or, you know, racing in a NASCAR race, you know, you can't worry about what's coming at the end. You got to worry about the next step because that's going to be the most important thing. And so being able to get athletes to decrease that clutter, decrease that scope of what they're thinking about to get them back to just what's important, what's important now, 
you know, my mentor, Brian Kane talks about it, you know, the, the win method, what's important now, W I N. So, Mm -hmm. and getting them to focus on that, that clears out, you know, if you can focus on one thing, you know, then you take out all those distractions. You know, I always talk about, you know, when you tell somebody, Hey, don't think about a red fire truck. What are you thinking about? Red fire truck. A red fire truck. Exactly. So, you know, the mind is not overly complicated and mental performance doesn't need to be overly complicated. So if you can give yourself a routine, you can give yourself something to focus on like that, something that's specific, then you don't have to worry about all the other things because you won't have the mental capacity to think about the stress, to think about what happens if you give up this home run, to think about what if you don't catch this next guy in this race, to think about, you know, what if you get a bad start off the blocks and swimming? You know, it, 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 it all goes together. So, you know, with, with hitting in baseball, we always talked about, you know, Hey, you got to find a focal point on your bat. You know, you take a deep breath on the bat that helps to clear your mind, slow your heart rate. And then it frees up that space. Okay. I'm done thinking about the fans in the stand. I'm done thinking about the pressure of the situation. What do I need to focus on right now? Seeing the fastball up, you know, pushing it down, whatever, seeing a, looking for, for a hang and breaking ball, whatever it is, you know, being able to clear your mind and focus on what's important is going to help you with success more often than not. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious as to like what your thoughts are on, on how you go about training athletes to do that. I've heard, I've heard two things. So I've heard, um, like I, I worked with a sports psychologist when I was at Memphis and he always, he, like his, his big push was more or less, it's not something that you should focus on every day. It's more of when you find yourself in situations where you start to spiral, then focus on the, the, for me, it was, if you, if you start mentally spiraling, uh, I had breathing patterns that I was supposed mm-hmm. to start but it wasn't something that it was like, yeah, you should do this every day and focus on it every day as part of your routine. It's really just, if you find yourself in that situation, then you do this. I'm interested like, what, what do you usually have athletes do? Is it something that you have them work on every day or is it something that's kind of in the moment, if you get into a panic, then this is your cue? Yeah, so for, for me, you know, I think practice makes perfect. And you know, your, your brain, like any other muscle on your body can be trained. Your mind, like any other skill can be trained. And a lot of times it takes that practice and that repetition to be comfortable doing it in the game. Because a lot of times when you need it is when you're already spun up, you're already sped up, you're already at a point where, you know, maybe you're not in the most stable mindset. You're not in the area where you're most controlled. So what I like to do is, you know, the, the first step to me in, in changing any course of thought or any action is to be able to have awareness for it. And so how do you build awareness for things? Well, you have to bring it to their attention and then you have to build a routine so they can recognize when things are starting to go out of place. And with me, you also get a ton of comfort from routines. So with, you know, baseball, we had pre-pitch routines, you know, whether you're a pitcher, a hitter, a defender, you know, something you can always turn to a, a standardized set of steps. So in the moment, if things do get pressure, you have something comfortable to turn to. You know, if you do start feeling the stress or the strain or the anxiety, or you do have failure, you have something to turn to that's gonna be comfortable, whether you're at home, whether you're on the road, whether you're at a super regional in Louisville playing in front of, you know, 4,000, 5,000 people. You know, you're gonna have that, that comfortable feeling, that comfortable set of steps that it doesn't matter what ballpark you're going into, 
you're going to be able to step up to the plate and know that you're doing the exact same things. And then you're going to notice because you brought awareness that if I go through these steps, one, two, three, four, five, and now I'm realizing, oh shoot, I'm skipping step two. And that probably means my mind's getting away from me. Now that's a cue that, hey, I step back, you know, I take a deep breath and I, I reevaluate that whole habit loop, that whole cycle of, okay, I need to get back and focus on what I need to focus on. You know, and, and when you give them something to focus on, like a routine, that's the tool they use. Like when we talked about the red fire truck that now, you know, okay, I've caught myself focusing on something else. Now I need to get back to focusing on my routine and controlling what I can control. Because a lot of times you can't control the anxiety. You can't control the fans. You can't control what the other team's doing. Heck, a lot of times you can't control the situation of the event, you know, whether right. you're down 10 spots in the race or, you know, you're down 10 runs in a game. So you can't control that. It's in the past. You got to focus on what you can do now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I was, I was thinking as, as Daniel was just talking, um, even for myself, I think, I think for a lot of athletes, as you go from being elite at, at a level to leveling up, there's, there's a gut check, there's an ego check. But something that, I, that has always fascinated me, and, and I mean, I went from a high school of 2,000 people to a Division three college of 2,000 people. It wasn't that dramatic of a change but I went to high school with some guys that then went on to play football at like Ohio state, you know, or, or one went to Oregon. And I just, I the first game I went to at Ohio state was also during my freshman year of college. And I remember just seeing the stadium and just thinking like, I can't imagine you play your last game, November, you know, in this case, November, 2010, September, 2011, you run out of that tunnel over there. <laughs> like that just has to like, and, and in some ways, there's no way to actually prepare for that. You know, just like there's an adrenaline, there's so forth. But how how much of like, or how how much do you work with athletes like that? Because I would imagine going, I mean, going from high school to college, going from college to professional levels, there are those changes. And and I guess so like, how much have you worked with that? What what would be some advice you'd give to athletes as they prepare maybe to make a jump like that? Yeah. I mean, and it goes back, like I said, you know, there's, there's nothing super complicated about this. You know, it's, it's simple, but simple isn't always easy, you know, but what I would say is, you know, focusing on those processes, focusing on those routines, because that's, what's going to be the same, whether you're playing in front of, you know, a thousand people or a hundred thousand people, you know, like if you're going to play at Ohio state and the ones that, that can focus on the tasks at hand, you know, and not focus on the fans, you know, it's about controlling what you can control. So I can't control how many people there are, I can't control the environment, I can't control the noise levels, you know, but I can focus on my preparation. Because it's that preparation that's going to give you confidence. You know, we tell them preparation comes from your confidence. So or confidence comes from your preparation. So like with one of my jujitsu fighters, you know, the guys, the, you know, defending world champion, they finally rescheduled the Pan Am games and he's going to, he's going to have a shot at, at winning good. another title there um, coming up here in October. And so with him, it's, it's been this whole time, you know, focusing on his preparation that it doesn't change just because it's COVID, you know, and he's got to control what he can control. So, okay. He can't go to his usual gym and train with everybody that he normally does fine. What can he do? You know, and not thinking about, you know, all the things that he's losing because of this, but thinking about, you know, what he can do and his things and focusing on that, focusing on his weight, you know, his, his weight program, focusing on his conditioning, you know, and when he's been able to have certain tune-up fights here and there, 
you know, whether it's a super fight scheduled through an independent party or something like that, you know, being able to take, take control of those and, and use those to get himself ready to go. Um, you know, and, and I don't think it matters what level you're at, you know, the same things that, that work with him are the same things that work with the guys at ECU that are the same things that work with some of the high school guys that I work around here, that I work with around here in Madison. You know, it, it, it's not a huge secret, you know, it's kind of one of those, you get what you, uh, what you put into it, you know, but getting these guys to build those routines, you know, build that, that confidence through their preparation and then learning just to focus on what they can control and tuning out the stuff that they can, you know, it goes a long way, but there's a reason why those guys at Ohio state are able to perform as freshmen because yeah. they do such a good job at that level. And that coaching staff has done such a good job, even since, you know, when Urban Meyer, Jim Tressel were there, you know, those guys, they prepare them to play in that environment. And so when they get out there, they're not out there starstruck. They're like, okay, this is what it means. This is what we do at Ohio State. We play in front of big crowds, you know, we win big games, and we compete for a national championship every year. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. There's just still, I think, uh, in all factor, but you're right, it's about like addressing it early and then just getting into the routine. So that, I, I, see, I see your point there. Yeah, and just to follow up on that, it, it seems like now you, as an athlete, especially at the professional level anyways, and it seems more and more likely that it'll be the case for the NCAA, having the internal routines is very important because there's no longer a crowd, right? So I've been wondering for the last few months, I've, especially watching the UFC, like how – how much, how much does the crowd play a role in someone's performance? And it's probably, there's probably some people that thrive off of it. And there's probably other people that would rather there not be a crowd. And I, so I'm kind of wondering um, how important it is now to have some of these internal routines really, really down pat. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And, you know, looking at, looking at sports um, in general, you know, one thing I've always, I've always, you know, heard is, you know, people question how in a, in a major league season of 162 games, how guys stay focused. And, you know, you think about it, if you go out into a major league stadium, you know, and you've got 30, 40,000 people there every night, you know, it's easy to stay focused. You've got all these people looking at you like you have to. So with this, you know, it, uh, you know, it definitely is interesting to me you know, watching some of these games now and, and watching, you know, certain guys that I think really thrive in it. You know, when you look at, you know, guys like, you know, Giancarlo Stanton or, or Zach Grinke, guys that have, that have, you know, typically had some of that social anxiety in their past. You know, you see Grinke now, the guy's sitting in the stands with cardboard cutouts instead of his teammates. He loves it. Like, that guy's having the time of his life this year, you know, right. he, he might be having more fun this year than he did when he won a Cy Young, you know, back with the Royals. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's definitely something that's, uh, that's interesting to me. And, you know, you, you hear about it, you know, across all sports, um, you know, just the, the psychological impact of what's been going on. That's super interesting. And, you know, I'm not a, not a doctor by any means, but, you know, I'm, I am interested to, you know, read some of these studies that are going to be coming out. Um, you know, on how this has affected athletic performance. And, you know, you hear about it with, you know, like Paul George um, of the NBA, right. you know, saying how the, the bubble and, you know, the, the shakeup, you know, has affected his play, um, you know, and how it affected his mental health and, you know, wondering, you know, I, I know everybody's, everybody's different, but, you know, seeing what makes some guys successful in that environment, you know, what other guys are doing to, to, to curb, you know, that, 
those challenges and to help them still perform at a high level. Um, you know, that has been a, a deep interest of mine and I'm excited to see kind of what comes out of these, these shortened and, and altered seasons. So I think they present, you know, just as many challenges. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the other challenges, especially just talking about athletics right now, and we've seen it a lot with, with traditional skill coaches, but this transition to remote mentoring, remote coaching, uh, in, in some ways, have you, is, is that something that you've done, you know, both virtual as well as, as well as in person and like, how has that played a role this year? Um, yeah, that's something that wasn't, wasn't that big of a thing, you know, just, just a couple of years ago. And these days, I, I think, I think a lot of coaching is never going to be the same. You're no longer restricted to work with the people, you know, in Madison or in Cleveland or mm-hmm. wherever. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm, I'm excited about, um, but it does have its, its own set of challenges. Um, you know, so, so part of what I do with mental performance, because I, I think it plays such a big role is, is, you know, the ability to coach, um, you know, guys on, on how to be better leaders. And, you know, a lot of being a great leader is being able to establish and build relationships with the people that you're with. Um, and it's definitely much more of a challenge, uh, you know, to be able to build relationships over Zoom or over the phone or over FaceTime, you know, as opposed to in person. Um, you know, humans are, are, you know, very tactile animals, mammals, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, physical touch goes a long way. You know, that's why, you know, you you read, read stories about, you know, like the 2008 Boston Celtics, you know, one of the reasons why they believe they were so good was because of, um, you know, positive touches, you know, being able to high five contact. And I, I believe they've done studies on it that show, you know, greater contact amongst teammates and amongst coaches, you know, those teams typically perform better. And so now we're in a, we're in an area where, or a time where, you know, you don't have that contact, you know, we're trying to avoid that contact. So how are we able to replace that? How are we able to, you know, still create those trusting, strong relationships? And, you know, you see it, see it in any, any facet, you know, it's like when, you know, world leaders shake hands, like we as people believe that, you know, hey, they actually trust each other. So something good's happening here because they have physically touched now and now they can't do that. So, you know, it, it crosses, crosses all phases from, you know, politics to, you know, the civilian world to athletics, um, all sports, I think it goes a long way with team building. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how, how teams and how athletes are able to overcome that. Yeah. That, I think athletics as a whole are never going to be the same at, at the professional level, at the youth level. Um, and I think it's, I mean, m- most work environments aren't, but I think there's a lot of change going on right now that, I think you're right. I think it'll be very interesting to see kind of some of these outputs and, and you're right to hear the professional athletes, these people that we look at as untouchable as, you know, they're just, they're invincible until they're not. But right now there have been so many of them being so humble and human that it's, it's been quite telling, I think, as to just the load that has been placed on them. No, absolutely. No doubt. No doubt. So, and that's where, you know, in my mind, the, the mental game is even more important now you know, because coaches can't always be with the players and they have new obstacles that, that they have to overcome. But, you know, in, in my mind, you know, growth happens on the edge of your comfort zone. And so, you know, are you going to look at this as a, you know, woe is me or, hey, this is an opportunity to grow. This is an opportunity to get better. You know, for me, my 
I, you know, I, I started this, this business a little over a year ago and, you know, back in March, you know, I was looking forward to, you know, uh, a great season, you know, and, and all these teams that I've been working with in the off season, you know, them getting into their competitions, them getting into their seasons and, you know, being able to grow this business from, you know, those teams performing well, word of mouth, everything like that. And, you know, we've all had our challenges. And so it's, you know, your ability to pivot, your ability to, you know, take in what's coming and, you know, not stress on what you've lost, but what you can gain from this. And so for me, you know, I've become a whole lot more tech savvy, um, you know, being able to, being able to do things over, over Zoom and, and social media and everything like that, um, you know, being able to figure out different ways to, uh, to communicate and, you know, what I can use this time for, you know, in a positive approach and, you know, being able to help people overcome a new set of challenges, um, you know, all the same things we would talk about with, you know, overcoming anxiety, overcoming fear of failure, overcoming, you know, situations that are, that are out of your control on the field or in athletics. Hey, now those are even more important in life. Um, you know, so it's the, the conversation has been roughly the same, but finding, you know, new ways to, to frame it and new ways to make it relevant to, you know, what is specifically going on now and how they can, you know, use what they've learned as athletes to, you know, attack and stay on top of things, you know, with, with, you know, shelter in place and things being shut down and all these new measures, um, you know, ways to, to overcome that for sure. Pete, I think that's a, a great attitude to have. And it kind of, it reminds me of something that Chris and I talked a lot about, especially while we were both at ECU, we were, we were both just coming out of our, um, our collegiate careers. And that was, that was it for us. Um, and we talked a lot about how you have this you know, you're doing this thing for hours and hours and hours every day to you're no longer doing it. And it, you, yep. you lose a little piece of yourself. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's a big part of your identity for so long and you kind of lose it. And so I'm wondering, do you work with athletes as they transition out of athletics into, into new roles? I know you said you work with athletics and out in business. I'm wondering, do you work with people while they're in that transition phase? Cause I think it's a really important thing um, that a lot of athletes go through. And it's something that that that's one of the reasons why I really got into coaching, um, because when I was at UCF, there was so many times where, you know, the the season would end and, you know, the draft would be over and, you know, you you I'd be sitting in the locker room on, you know, the day we clean out the locker room and inevitably every year there'd be a senior sitting there with his head in his hands like, what do I do now? Like what, what's going on now? And there was so many guys that I came into contact with that, you know, they struggled those first couple of years out of, out of athletics. And, you know, it was big for me, you know, to get into coaching, to be able to help them, you know, not only do well in the field, but like I said, you know, win at life too, and be able to understand how they can take the skill sets that they learned and how they can apply those and help them, you know, get a leg up in the real world, you know, how they can, you know, use that, their same mentality, how they can use those skills to, you know, transitioning and be able to find meaning in something else other than their sport. Um, you know, one of the, the best books I've ever read is Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Um, and it's one that, that I'd recommend to, to anybody, you know, and it's, it, he talks about, you know, the different ways that, that you can find meaning in life. And, you know, one is, is through your family, you know, one is through the work that you do and, you know, the, the validation that you feel from that. Um, and then the other are just relationships with, with people in general. Um, you know, and so being able to, to coach guys on, 
you know, leadership and life skills and, you know, how this is all going to be relevant to the real world, you know, instead of just giving them the information, making those connections, you know, adding that perspective that, you know, hey, you know, yeah, you've lost a game. Great. You know, it, it hurts. Well, you know, what's going to happen when you lose your job or what's going to happen when right. you try and try and start a business and, hey, look at that you know, national pandemic happens, world pandemic happens, right. you know, you can't, in, in baseball, you have another game, and in life, you can't quit, you know, you don't get to do yeah. that, so, you know, it's, it, there's, there's no next season, there's no, you know, it's, it's now, so being able to learn to deal with that failure early on, and, and keep going through, and, you know, being able to understand, you know, what that next step is, yeah, you know, and help awesome. them to help them to plan for that before they graduate goes a goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, just looking back personally, there's a, a big need for that. And, and honestly, I think even just having realistic conversations just about like, yes, sports are just a game and not to be cliche in saying that, but like there is meaning outside of it and, and helping find that I think is is really cool. So that's, that's awesome. We're, uh, we're coming coming up on time here a little bit, but I have a question. Daniel kind of started this out of the blue in our last episode. So um, we're going to try and make this a thing. So in, in one minute, in one sentence, um, can you just talk to us a little bit about where you want to see the field of mental performance and mental training go in the next five to 10 years? I think a big thing is losing the stigma you know, losing the negative stigma. And there's one thing that the American Athletic Conference um, had that, that I absolutely love that they started over the last couple of years and it's their powerful mind initiative. And the fact that, you know, we do health checkups on every other part of our body that we need to lose the stigma that if you're seeing a mental performance coach, that something's wrong with you. You know, if you're seeing a psychiatrist, something's wrong with you. No, we, we go see a doctor every year for a physical checkup why not go see a psychiatrist for a mental right. checkup? You know, it doesn't mean that anything's wrong. It's just, Hey, we take our cars in for oil changes. You know, it's like an oil change for your body. You know, every 3000 miles you go in and Hey, they look under the hood, make sure everything's all right. Keep you going. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I, I would agree with that for sure. So well, thanks Pete for joining us today. Uh, it's been great getting to talk to you again and having you on uh, just kind of as we wrap up, I know, um, I encourage everybody to check you out on Twitter, um, the handle at, at Pete Buscano, and we'll have it here, uh, you know, we'll have it tagged below the post, um, but also check out forwardmp.com. And uh, any other recommendations you'd give people? I know mental performance really is a, a topic that's relatively new to a lot of people. Uh, you know, where, where else could you suggest people go for resources? Yeah, um, absolutely. I, uh, Brian Kane, uh, my mentor, he's, he's a great guy. He's actually, I think, based out of, uh, based out of Phoenix. So okay. close to y'all, nice. um, you know, Justin Sow with the, he's the mental performance coach for the, for the Tampa Bay Rays. And I may have butchered his last name. I'm terrible with him, but, um, you know, he, he puts out some, some really good stuff and then, okay. you know, just, just educating yourself reading. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of books that, that I love. I mean, tribe, by Sebastian Younger, The Obstacle is the Way by Brian Holiday. Um, like I said, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, and then, you know, speaking of, of Ohio State, Above the Line by uh, Urban Meyer. You know, if you want to talk about per mental performance and, and leadership, it all all ties together. It's a, it's a great book for that. So, you awesome. know, I, I educate yourself as much as possible, but I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, this is great. I'm excited to see what you do with Alto and 
you know, what the future has for you guys. I'm excited for it. Thanks. And, and the same to you. And uh, we're excited to see some of the teams you've been working with get back on the field <laughs> uh, as, as <laughs> we too. Come, come out of this pandemic here. But that's going to yeah. wrap it up. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And, and thanks, Pete. And we'll uh, see everyone next time. Thanks, Pete. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Y'all take care. It. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. I'll see you guys. Take care.